Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Hello, I'm Marina Yevshan, co-host of the Russia-Ukraine War Report Podcast, and today is January 22, 2024. It's been 3,648 days since Russia's illegal occupation of Crimea on January 27, 2014. And one year and 333 days since Russia expanded its war of aggression against Ukraine. Today's podcast looks at events that happened over the weekend. During the podcast, you will find the Russia-Ukraine war map helpful to visualize the areas discussed, as there are a lot of map changes. There is a link in the podcast description. The Russia-Ukraine war report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from our direct contacts and journalists in Ukraine, the Russian Ministry of Defense and the Ukrainian General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine morning reports, operational commands north, south and east of Ukraine, open-source intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geospatial experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian male bloggers and social media channels with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission – the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with the daily assessment. There are changes from Friday. 1. While a full assessment would require an in-person investigation, the available evidence indicates that Russian forces committed the attack on the Kirovsky district of occupied Donetsk that killed 28 and wounded 30. 2. We maintain it is unlikely that the United States will provide additional military or financial aid to Ukraine in 2024. 3. The continued impasse in the United States Congress to provide additional military aid to Ukraine and the passive response to Russian kinetic and hybrid aggression is contributing to Russia's expanding access with North Korea and Iran and global hybrid warfare. 4. We maintain the armed forces of Ukraine are facing critical ammunition shortages that are directly impacting the ability to maintain existing defensive lines. 5. We maintain that Ukrainian forces no longer have the combat potential to engage in any offensive operations, and Russian troops are capable of additional tactical success and achieving limited operational goals. 6. The reduction in Ukrainian combat potential is a direct result of blocked aid from the United States and the European Union. 7. Russian forces have established an operational objective to capture Chasiv Yar, west of Bakhmut. 8. Russian commanders have put mission objectives over all other considerations and are committed to capturing the FDF salient regardless of the cost and are maintaining a force of at least 40,000 troops. 9. We maintain that combat that closely resembles World War I trench warfare versus 21st century combined arms maneuver warfare will continue through meteorological winter, which ends on February 29. 10. While the possibility of an intentional nuclear accident caused by Russian occupiers at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant remains low, in our assessment, the threat to Europe is not being taken seriously. We are extremely troubled by the latest report from the International Atomic Energy Agency and the increasing resistance from Russian occupiers to cooperate with the United Nations Organization. We begin in Kharkiv Oblast, in the Kupiansk area of operation, or AO. 
mutual fighting continued north and west of Sinkivka, with Russian forces concentrating their attacks on January the 20th. Ukrainian forces held their defensive lines. A Russian video that our analysts geolocated showed Ukrainian troops under attack and holding their positions. It further confirmed that Ukrainian forces had held their defensive positions south of Parshatravneva. We link to the video and all of the videos and pictures I will discuss today in our daily situation report. For just $5 a month, you gain access to our written report, which includes coverage beyond the podcast, and puts you in the know 12 to 18 hours before the podcast. There is a link in the podcast description. In the Svatoveyo in Kharkiv Oblast, Ukrainian forces withdrew from the village of Krohmalne. The spokesman for the ground forces of the Ukrainian armed forces, Volodymyr Fito, said, quote, Krohmalne was a settlement where 45 people lived. There were five houses there, and they were destroyed by the Russian aggressor. Accordingly, our main goal is to protect the lives of Ukrainian defenders. Their positions have been moved to prepared reserve defenses, unquote. The Russian Ministry of Defense or Armored claimed the village was captured and Russian sources published pictures of a squad of soldiers in the hamlet. Based on the geolocated information, we updated the war map and used terrain analysis to make additional changes. West of Kremina in Luhansk Oblast, Russian forces suffered significant losses east of Terny, with over 20 armored vehicles destroyed in less than 48 hours and no change to the line of conflict. Russian forces were also unable to advance toward Yampolivka from the Luhansk-Donetsk Oblast administrative border. Russian and Ukrainian sources reported continued fighting south of Dubrova, with no change in the situation. In the Lysychanskoyo, Russian forces attempted to advance on Bilohorivka from the north, attacking from south of the bend in the Siversky Donetsk river. We had previously assessed that neither combatant could ever hold this region due to the terrain and rivers surrounding the marshy area on three sides. A very graphic video that was geolocated shows the attack ended in disaster, and a Russian UR-77 meteorite demining system, used as an offensive weapon, suffered a catastrophic explosion and destroyed the ammunition cache meant for the attack. We link to both videos, and if you've never seen a UR-77 when all its dead code explodes, it is spectacular. In occupied Luhansk, the former private military company Wagner Group mercenaries with the 98th Division 331st Regiment that attempted to break up a so-called Luhansk People's Republic or LNR Ministry of Internal Affairs-run drug-dealing ring have been arrested by Russian Special Operation Forces with the Rosgvardia. The mercenaries turned contract volunteers with the Russian Ministry of Defense are being moved to pretrial detention after interrogation and are facing charges of kidnapping and torturing a police lieutenant. Next, let's talk about the Donbass. In the Solidario, there have been no pictures or videos from Russian sources to support the claim that the village of Vesele has been captured. In our assessment, the claim is dubious. We did not change the map. In the Bakhmutio, fighting continued on the northern edge of Bogdanivka, with geolocated videos confirming the existing line of conflict. Southwest of Bakhmut, a geolocated video showed a failed Russian advance, with light infantry retreating in disarray and at least one destroyed T-72 tank. The video also showed that Russian forces had made a tactically significant advance through the forested area between Ivanivska and Klishivka, 
with the attack falling apart as Russian troops reached open territory. Based on the available information, we moved the line of conflict west. In the Klishivka AO, mutual fighting continued near Klishivka, with no change in the situation. In southwest Donetsk, Russian forces made tactically significant advances along the southern flank of the Avdivka AO. On the northern flank, Russian troops continued to attack along the railroad grade southeast of Novobakhmutivka and east of Stepove without success. Russian troops engaged in positional fighting northeast of the Avdivka coke plant. Ukrainian forces regained military control of the eastern parts of the duchess, southeast of the sewage treatment plant, while Russian forces made marginal gains southwest of Kamyanka. On the eastern edge of Avdivka, a Russian video our analyst geolocated confirmed that Ukrainian forces still hold control of the water purification plant west of Kruta Balka. Based on the new information, the gray area west of the H-20 highway was removed. Russian mercenary mill blogger Wargonzo claimed fighting was ongoing west of the industrial district in southeast Avdivka. Still, after almost a week of claims from various sources, there continued to be no supporting pictures or videos. Geolocated videos showed Russian forces were able to advance from Spartak along the T-505 highway and railroad grade, reaching the Tsarska Ohota resort on Soborna Street and as far north as Nekrasova Street. Based on the Open Source Intelligence, or OSINT, the map has been adjusted. Ukrainian forces were reportedly working on stabilizing new defensive lines after the 2-kilometer Russian advance. Further west, on the southern flank, Russian troops continued their attacks in the no-man's land between Vodyane and Severne, the area near Pervomaiske and east of Nevelske. In the Marienka AO, Russian forces continued their attacks east of Georgievka with no change in the situation. In the Vogledareyo, Russian troops continued their attacks northeast and south of Novomikhailovka. From the southern direction, Russian forces continued to suffer significant losses. The Russian Aerospace Forces, or VKS, bombed the Pivdenno-Donbaiska three-coal mine complex east of Vodyane. In the occupied city of Donetsk, Russian state media and the illegitimate governor of the so-called Donetsk People Republic, or DNR, Denis Pushilin, claimed that Ukraine shelled the market area in the Kirovsky district, killing 28 and wounding 30, with 18 in hospital. Moving to assessment. Let me start with saying, I'm indignant. Russia keeps shelling Ukrainian cities, free and occupied, killing innocent Ukrainians and accusing Ukraine of committing those crimes. And the world doesn't scoff in disgust, but believes in there are two sides to every story, and calls it reasonable doubt. Kachovska dam explosion? Ukrainians could have done it to themselves because Russia claimed so. Dozens, hundreds, thousands of murdered people here and there? Ukraine's fault is not out of the discussion because Russia claimed so. Will there ever be time when Ukraine's claims are listened to? When we unequivocally say we didn't do it and the world actually hears us? Investigation after investigation, Russian crimes are being proved, and yet Ukraine is denied the right of presumption of innocence. How many more pieces of evidence does our world need to finally identify who's an aggressor and who's a victim? Our analyst team reviewed dozens of videos and still pictures and did an audio analysis of one video that recorded part of the attack. 
While any war crime assessment would require an in-person investigation to make a final determination based on the extensive information in the public domain, the evidence does not support this was a Ukrainian attack. Russian state media appeared to attempt to avoid taking pictures and videos of craters which would assist with splash analysis. We were able to geolocate heads at the intersection of Lyashenko and Petrovskoho street, two heads at the intersection of Tekstilnikiv and Petrovskoho street, and our analysts identified an impact crater on Lyashenko street that struck the base of a tree across the street from the bus stop. A graphic video geolocated by our analyst team shows the impact crater at the base of the eastern face of a hardwood tree striking near a car. The video is not for children, and many will find it disturbing, but it is critical for the investigation. You can access our situation report for information. The impact crater shows the shell came from approximately 240 to 260 degrees, and the closest area controlled by Ukraine in that direction is Pobeda, 17 kilometers away. Russian forces are as close as 2.5 kilometers away from the settlement, which is within the minimum range of Soviet-era D-20 and D-30 artillery pieces and NATO M777 howitzers or self-propelled guns. It is unlikely that heavy artillery is operating from Pobeda, but we can't rule it out. The safest area for Ukrainian artillery to operate that would fire in that direction is another 7.9 kilometers west-southwest, in an area of forested belts north of Ilinka. At 24.9 kilometers away, NATO M102 and M121 120mm mortars, D20 152mm howitzer, D30 122mm howitzer, and the M777 155mm howitzer wouldn't be able to reach the area's hit. From Pobeda, the M777 with a 24km range would be able to strike the area. However, in our analysis we found additional information that provided a rough firing distance for at least two rounds. In a Russian video geolocated at the intersection of Lyashenka and Petrovskoho street, the sound of three outgoing rounds is captured, and two of the three impacts. Here is the clip. If the M777 howitzer did the attack, as Russia claims, it has a muzzle velocity of 827 meters per second. The time between the round being fired and the longer hit was 4.5 seconds. That would be a maximum range of just 3,720 meters. That would mean Ukrainian forces fired from within in the city of Donetsk. That's an impossibility. Another indication that Russian officials are concealing the details of the attack is there were no pictures shared by DNR officials showing an official investigation or pieces of recovered shrapnel. We link to other investigative pictures done by the DNR and the size of a 155mm artillery round crater in the situation report. This raises another issue. None of the craters that were photographed were consistent with the 122, 152 or 155mm artillery round. The NER officials did not accuse Ukraine of using dual-purpose improved conventional munitions, more commonly known as cluster munitions. And they did not claim that 122mm Grad or 300mm Smirch rockets were used. Another graphic video from the apartment building south of the market shows an impact crater consistent with a mortar, 
as does the one that hit the tree. Damage to an electronics and appliance store, including roof penetration, is also consistent with a mortar round. The longest-range 120mm mortar Ukraine has in inventory is the M102 and M121, with a range of 7,500 meters with standard rounds and up to 13,000 meters with enhanced rounds. Even at the maximum range, that would place the mortar positions 4 kilometers inside Russian-occupied territory. Russian state media agency SHOT claimed that the attack was done by 152 and 155 mm artillery rounds fired from the direction of Krasnogorivka and Kurahove. Kurahove is 28 km away from the area attacked, making it impossible. Krasnogorivka is close enough, but is northwest of the one crater we could analyze, not west-southwest. Additionally, we have seen no evidence of Ukrainian forces positioning M777 howitzers or self-propelled guns within 2 to 3 kilometers of the line of conflict, instead opting to take advantage of the superior range NATO weapons provide. The other issue is that Ukrainian forces are critically low on ammunition and are facing a Russian adversary that was making tactically significant advances on the southern flank of Avdiivka. Finally, the attack came while Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov was already in the air to New York City for a meeting of the United Nations Security Council on January 22, and as the United States Congress is poised to debate continued military support for Ukraine. The Secretary-General of the UN, Antonio Gutierrez, already condemned Ukraine for the attack before any investigation was done. In our final assessment, we believe there is a compelling case that it is highly unlikely the attack was launched by Ukraine and involved artillery rounds. The available evidence suggests the attack was of Russian origination in a forested region on the eastern edge of the Petrovsky district of Donetsk, approximately 3,000 meters from the market area. In the early hours of January 22, our analysts tentatively geolocated the fuel depot in the Kirovsky district on fire from a reported attack. There was also a large fire in Russian-occupied Makiivka that appeared to be fuel storage. Due to the attacks, 93 boiler houses that provide heat and hot water were offline, as well as 9 power stations, knocking out power to 133,000 subscribers in occupied Donetsk. Phoenix Internet Cellular Service was also knocked out due to the power outage, and water service was out to four districts. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. In Zaporizhia, intense positional fighting continued in the Orikhevayo. Russian sources claim that Ukrainian forces were able to advance in the direction of Verbove, but did not provide any proof. Fighting continued west and south of Robotene, and a video geolocated by our analysts confirmed the existing line of conflict. Russian male blogger and propagandist Two Majors wrote about the drone superiority Ukrainian apparatus had in the area. Quote, First-person view drones of the armed forces of Ukraine and on the Zaporizhia front have become a huge problem. With the help of repeaters, 
they are capable of hitting our targets at a depth of up to 17 kilometers from the line of conflict, the total range up to 20-25 kilometers, according to estimates from frontline soldiers." Unquote. The International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, provided an update on the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, or ZNPP. On January 18, external power from the 750 kV line was disconnected because two transformers in the switchyard failed. The outage was not related to an attack or severe weather. The 330 kV reserve line from the Zaporizhia thermal power plant continued to provide power, and the 750 kV line was restored eight hours later. IAEA Director General Rafael Grossi said, quote, the plant's vulnerable power status remains one of the main dangers for nuclear safety and security at the site. The situation remains extremely worrying in this respect. The site has already lost all off-site power eight times since August 2022, forcing it to rely on emergency diesel generators." Unquote. The IAEA has not received a copy of the 2024 maintenance plan from Russian occupier Rosatom, and concluded that there would not be a comprehensive plan for site maintenance in the coming year. General Director Grossi continued, quote, This maintenance needs to be performed to ensure nuclear safety, especially in the current situation where the six reactors have been shut down for an extended period. It is important that the IAEA has a thorough understanding of the maintenance plans, unquote. IAEA inspectors were not permitted to speak to plant employees about their training or qualifications and continued to be blocked from visiting the roofs of the reactors and parts of all six turbine holes. In the safety rooms for reactor 6, boric acid leaks were continuing, with inspectors noting that the safe minimum level for the compound was being maintained. Anti-personnel and anti-tank mines that were removed in November 2023 have returned to the plant. They are in a restricted and inaccessible area to plant personnel, with the IAEA repeating that presence of the mines violates nuclear safety protocols. Reactor 5 remains in hot shutdown to provide steam for plant operations and the settlement of Enerhodar. IAEA inspectors continue to make manual radiation readings and submit them to the Russian occupiers for review. Moving back to assessment, the IAEA is an autonomous part of the UN, and the silence from the Security Council and Secretary-General Gutierrez is disappointing. Each report from the IAEA since June 2023 has pointed to a deteriorating situation at Europe's largest nuclear power plant. We don't understand why the situation is not receiving more international attention. In our assessment, it also raises questions about the adherence to safety protocols at Russian nuclear power facilities. Next up, the Kherson EO. Fighting continued in Krynke and the forests to the south, with the Ukrainian forces repelling six attacks. The attack that killed Russian drone operator Moses was geolocated at the western edge of Krynke. The Russian drone team had written people on the garage door of the home, attempting to mask their military presence. Based on the OSINT, we expanded the gray zone further west. We remain unsure why Moses and his drone team were operating so close to the line of conflict from within the village. 
another Russian unit in the Kherson EO made a video appeal to be rotated due to catastrophic losses. Quote, Many of us die on the way from the supply base, which is shot through with bullets. Quick note, what they mean is the route is under constant attack. It is seven and a half kilometers away. Since the 2nd of August we have been near Krynke, without rotation at all, under constant artillery fire. Unquote. Ukrainian source Deep State claimed that some Russian units are claiming they are making attacks on Ukrainian positions to their superiors, complete with fake radio chatter. In reality, the squads and platoons launched no such attack and are using this as a tactic to avoid advancing. Everything is going to plan. Here is the update for the Russian front. In the Tambov region, a Ukrainian one-way drone struck a workshop at the Tambov gunpower factory on January the 20th, destroying it. It is unclear if production was impacted. In the Tula region, a Ukrainian one-way drone struck the Shiglovsky Val factory, which produces Panzer S and Panzer S-1 air defense systems. A video recorded a large explosion and fire after the strike. The amount of damage is unknown. In the Leningrad region, Ukrainian one-way drones struck the Ustluga oil terminal, causing a fire that burned for 11 hours, shutting down the facility. 15 to 20 percent of Russian oil exports move through Ustluga, and tanker ships are stationary at the Baltic seaport. In Leningrad Oblast, existing Russian air defenses are oriented to the west and northwest in the event of an attack from NATO. Further, the Leningrad region only has six Panzer air defense systems. One was damaged in an accident last year. At least three have been transferred to occupied Ukraine, and the remainder were transferred to protect Russian President Vladimir Putin's residence. More assessment. Ukraine has developed a new one-way drone with an operational range of at least 1,200 kilometers, highly resistant to electronic warfare, difficult to track on radar, and carrying a much larger payload than the Beaver, which was used to attack Russia over the summer of 2023. Ukraine's targeting of Russian fuel storage and distribution is meant to reduce military mobility, hurt the domestic economy by causing fuel shortages, and hurt foreign trade, which is already hampered by the difficulties in the Red Sea. Russia has moved most of its air defense assets to occupied Ukraine, and none of the systems are so robust as advertised. If Ukraine can build these new drones at scale, Russia is going to have an increasing problem. Finally, let's talk about theater-wide events. On the night of January 21st and 22nd, Russia attacked Ukraine with eight Iranian-sourced Shahid-136 one-way drones, with all UAVs intercepted. Kyiv has prioritized building a 1,000-kilometer-long defensive line, with prioritization in the Avdiivka AO. The fortifications will include dragon teeth, barbed wire, landmines, bunkers, tunnels and trenches. The head of the Hur, Kirill Budanov, would not make any predictions about 2024, telling the news outlet The Financial Times, quote, This will be a difficult year for Ukraine. Saying that everything is fine is not true. But adding, hopefully Ukraine's success will be greater than that of the Russian Federation. 
On January the 20th, according to the Oryx database, Ukraine crossed the threshold of losing 5,000 pieces of heavy military equipment since February 24, 2022. During the same period, Russia lost 13,959, including equipment destroyed during the Prigozhin insurrection on June 23 and 24, 2023. And that's what we know. Your support of my home, Ukraine, helps us make history and protect the future for all. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.